Good morning, everyone. I know, it's like church. Like you guys, Thank you for coming out in the rain at this early hour. Um, I'm Shannon Thomas. I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at the Ohio History Connection. And this is, I'll let you introduce yourself. Shannon, um, I'm Christina Smith. I'm the Marketing and Communications Manager at the Rutherford B. Hayes Presidential Library and Museums in Fremont, Ohio. And then now you guys all have to repeat that. There you go. I know, there you go. Um, a couple things before we start. Uh, we learned that this session is being recorded. So um, we will uh, speak into the mics. And then we'll also, the thing that you'll want to know is that we'll repeat your questions. So even if you speak really loudly, we'll repeat the questions so that it gets recorded as well. Um, Yes, thanks again for coming. Um, we're going to talk about like what we've learned uh, in our rebranding processes. Um, uh, Ohio History Connection is the kind of larger state historical society organization, and Christina with Hayes represents kind of the smaller uh, historical uh, society and site. And so that's so we have kind of two different perspectives um, that you will notice from the that the title slide that I took off the twenty. Um, that there's probably at least 20 insights, but there are a lot more. So, um, and I just couldn't number them all. <laughs> it got too overwhelming for me. Um, we're going to leave ample time for questions and comments and to share your experience or what you're thinking about with rebranding if you have it. Um, we're marketing uh, professionals, but um, I don't, you don't have to be to be interested in this and to rebrand your organization. Um, so, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Ohio History Connection, if you don't know about us. Um, we are the um, statewide uh, historical society or history organization for Ohio. Um, we have 57 sites. We include the State Historic Preservation Office. Um, we have the State Archives. We have a very strong outreach division. Um, and we have, it's probably around 200 employees. So that's kind of the size of the organization. Um, and these pictures here are of our site, the Hayes Presidential Library and Museums. Um, we are affiliated with OHC, so we are one of their sites. Um, we have 25 acres of grounds. We have the Hayes Home, which you can see there. It's a 31-room Victorian mansion. Um, we have the Presidential Library, which is on the other slide, and that's our new uh, handicap-accessible entrance that we just unveiled this year, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, the museum is also in that building, and we have the tomb. Um, we are America's first presidential library. We are not part of the federal system because we're the forerunner for the federal system. Um, so we do a lot of fundraising. Uh, we're a nonprofit, and that's how um, that's how we do things. So great. So with the two organizations um, to talk about rebranding, that um, I wanted to just kind of give a definition of what it means to what is a brand. Um, it's the culmination of experience pe experiences people have with your organization. So that's what people think or feel about your organization and what kind of image you are putting out to them. So if you want like an example, think of like Apple and an iPhone and like, you know, how you could see an Apple commercial without even seeing 
without even seeing the words Mac or Apple, um, that you just kind of know because it, they have a kind of a strong brand. Um, and so, and that's kind of one example um, that we can point to. There's others. Um, but just so, but it's what people kind of feel. It's, you know, it's not a, that there's emotion wrapped up in it. Um, so why we rebranded. Um, that we have this lovely gentleman in, uh, from a historic photo, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to change is uh, to be more relevant, um, that there was a general sense of a lack of awareness of our products and services. I think Christina and I both feel that way, that that was one of the major reasons. We wanted to be more relevant and we wanted uh, to reach more people, grow financial support, and be true to our mission. Um, as we went through the rebranding process at the Ohio History Connection, um, we, uh, the staff started taking on the image of that we wanted to take off the monocles and brandy, that that's what the historical organization looked like to outsiders was that uh, it came from a focus group, like, you know, an old guy with, monocles like sipping brandy and so mm -hmm. at our staff brand launch our CEO they did this whole skit where uh, with he was the monocles and brandy and he took them off and threw them <laughs> threw them out um, I don't did you want to add anything into that or is that um, yeah I mean I can talk about it a yeah. little more when we get to it but uh, the same kind of thing we wanted to be more relevant and I'll kind of talk about it when we get to the slide but you'll see why our old name didn't quite fit with our mission. So uh, the Ohio Historical Society, which if you know us, that's probably what you know us as. Um, you know, we have had that name for about the last 50 years. We originally started in 1885 as the Ohio like Archaeological and Historical Society, and there might be other one more word. In the, 19 in the 50s, we changed our name to Ohio Historical Society, and um, we moved to the Ohio History Connection. And um, one of the main reasons that we rebranded was that we felt that our name was a barrier to uh, people engaging with us. Uh, particularly the words historical and society uh, were hard for people to engage with. When we did focus groups, those were the things, like people said they didn't feel like they were part of a society. Now, like 100 years ago, societies were where people went and gathered and, you know, it was a community-building uh, type of group. Nowadays, people don't belong to societies, and so that was kind of... That was the main barrier. And we had been kind of researching past 30 years on and off, changing our name, and um, we finally did that in May 2014. And the rebranding process, we started probably September and rebranded finally in May, which is a pretty fast rebranding process um, that usually it could take a year or two to kind of get ready, so we were kind of on the fast track um, one of the things that I think we did really well uh, with the rebranding process is that after we had kind of the name and the logo, um, the attributes for the brand came from staff input, um, that we interviewed department managers to talk about what do you do, who do you serve, why do you do it, and that's where um, we got our brand attributes um, and what we wanted to do and be. 
And so this is kind of a representation of, or this is the representation of who we aspire to be. You know, we're open, we're inclusive, knowledgeable, passionate, fun, thought-provoking, dynamic, local. Like, these are all attributes that we want people to kind of begin to associate with us. The ones that we're kind of, I think, working on really hard right now is being kind of fun and fun at the same time. Like, history doesn't have to be kind of this stoic uh, identity that people experience. Um, so that's just, I can, you know, we're happy to talk more about the rebranding process and Q&A, um, but we just wanted to give kind of a broad overview. And so I'll let Christina talk a little bit about Haze. Um, so as you can see uh, from our old logo on the left, we were called the Rutherford B. Hayes Presidential Center. Um, and in this room, you guys probably know who Rutherford B. Hayes is, but um, I can tell you I've been on the job for a little more than a year, and uh, especially when I first started uh, with out-of-state friends and whatnot, I got a lot of questions about who, which president is he. Um, so we were dealing with that, but also because uh, you can see the emphasis is on Presidential Center, um, it didn't really tell what we do. Um, an example I can give you is when I got the job, um, some out-of-state friends said, oh, well, we'll come down and learn about the presidents. Um, their impression was that it was a center all about presidents, which um, to some degree it is. We do have a president's gallery, but it is the Rutherford B. Hayes Presidential Library and the museum and the home. Um, so we had had this uh, logo and name, I believe, since the early 1980s. And part of why we decided to rebrand was obviously it was necessary. And also, uh, we are celebrating our centennial this year in 2016. So the rebranding was part of a strategic plan, um, and it was one of the things that we wanted to do for our centennial. So kind of our rebranding was twofold. It was something that needed to be done, but also this was the perfect time uh, to unveil it and to do that. Um, so I can talk a little bit more, as Shannon mentioned in the Q&A, if you have any questions about how we came, but in a nutshell, how we came to the new name and logo, but in a nutshell, um, it, even though it is a long name, Presidential Library and Museums just gives you a better idea of what we do there. And the reason it's museums plural is we have the home, which is a museum. Pretty much all the artifacts in the home belong to President and Lucy Hayes uh, and their family. Um, and then we have the museum and the library. So it, it also puts the emphasis on Hayes, whereas before the emphasis was on Presidential Center. So it just kind of gives a better, a better idea of what we do. Um, it, the logo is definitely more modern looking. It's more patriotic. So these were all things that we wanted to incorporate into our rebranding. And we especially wanted to unveil kind of a, a, the new name, a new fresh look, kind of a new vision for 2016 with our centennial. So we launched this in December 2015 sort of to kick off 2016 with this. So... So um, some of the things that we learned um, in this process and that, you know, that we didn't even necessarily know we learned until a couple years later, one is do your research because, um, like, you'll be asked for it later. Um, and that doesn't mean that, like, people, like, want to know, like, hand over your research, like, we want to see it. But just that, you know, that you were thoughtful about or that we were thoughtful about changing our name and that we didn't just do it because it was trendy. Um, we did it because it, we felt it was necessary. Um, so some of our research, like really, like I said, like 
some of our research dated back to like you know 30 years of uh, at different moments the organization would be like oh we should change our name and they would do some research and they would uh, kind of and then they'd be like eh we're not going to do it um, and so that was but really kind of what finally kind of got us is that. Um, we did focus groups with moms and history buffs across the state, and those are two of our main groups. Moms, because um, sexist or not, they are the ones making the decisions about where families go. Um, and then history buffs, because these are people that already kind of care about what we do. And uh, like I said what we earlier, is what we learned in these focus groups is that the name was a barrier, that they couldn't associate, they couldn't see themselves as part of... Um, Ohio Historical Society. They didn't see where their families or the, they fit into that. Um, we also did name testing. Um, so we went to, um, like we're headquartered in Columbus, and we went to at least the Cincinnati Zoo, I think we went a few other places as well, and talked to people about um, what was uh, the new name and like what they associated with it. Like, you know, when you hear Ohio History Connection, what do you think about and so that was a really valuable experience for us, and I certainly recommend doing, you know, it doesn't have to be a large, like, research project or, like, a, you know, canvas uh, the entire state, um, but, like, it's really good not to just have the focus group of one, which is, you know, yourself, um, but to ask people really what they think about it. Um, the second uh, thing we learned was stakeholder engagement. Don't forget anyone. Um, that uh, when you're changing your name, you want everyone that you interact with to know before it's publicly announced. And um, that, you know, there's government officials, there's community members, there's donors, there's members. Um, staff, of course, we have our site system, all our site partners. We made lists, and we started making phone calls. We divided it up, um, and um, we just and we just kind of went through the list, depending, like, you know, if it was very high level, the CEO would call. If it was, like, uh, somebody that we knew, then I would call. Um, but we, would get, we created talking points for staff, why we're changing our name, what it's changing to, and how we're moving forward. And that was really important. One thing that we did learn from coming out of this is that um, remember that um, reporters, journalists, are often members of your organization. Um, and that's how um, we sent out a letter to members about two months before we rebranded saying, hey, we're changing our name. Well, uh, you know, a week later, we get a phone call from a reporter saying, hey, I heard you're changing your name. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't on our terms. Like, that wasn't what we had planned out to do. So just think about, like, you know, we always remember that, like, you know, members of the public are, and journalists are, are you know, card-carrying members of the organization, and they'll have that same information. And so that was an important lesson for us. Um, choose the right consultants. Uh, you probably can't rebrand on your own. We certainly couldn't. Um, and there's lots of different options. There's, you know, you can go with big versus small consultants, um, one-stop shops versus specific expertise. Um, you should really go with what you feel comfortable, who you feel comfortable working with. We used to work with a larger kind of design agency, 
and it just didn't really fit. And what worked well for the marketing uh, department that I run was um, working with just individuals, like much smaller people. There was more flexibility. Uh, the people, the designers that we work with are invested in the brand. And that worked really well for us. Um, but we also have, you know, I have a staff of four, uh, five uh, people. And so, we, you know, it takes a little bit more time to work with individuals. Um, but uh, I feel like we get better service. But if you're kind of a small organization and you just need someone to really kind of help you and do everything and guide the process, then you may want to go with a larger uh, agency. Those are more expensive, but you can also think about, like, board you know, your board, like, you know, what kind of services do they offer and what would they want to, they might do pro bono or low bono. So um, that's something that, like, you know, that's how we did some of our research. That was how we uh, got some of our research done. Um, the other thing to think about is public, re public relations versus advertising when you launch your name. Like, advertising is great for building awareness, but um, when you have, when you're changing your name, like, that's a story, and it's, like, I highly recommend using uh, media and uh, going for earned media at this point because people are interested in it, and it's a, and there's really, like, it's going to be a feel-good story unless there's something really horrible that, like, <laughs> that you haven't, like, predicted or that something that comes out, but very, um, very unlikely. Um, what we did was that we did editorial board meetings throughout the state, um, which took time and effort preparing materials and prepping our CEO. But we went to the major newspapers in Ohio and sat down with the editorial boards, for those that still had editorial boards, um, which is changing, um, and just talked about who we are, what we do, why we're changing our name. And uh, one of the things we learned and is reinforced with Christina is that, you know, journalists are often the recorders of history. And they are big fans of history and are really, you know, they're out there champion, championing the cause of history. And so um, we found them very supportive um, of our name change and um, gave us really great press that, you know, we could never purchase. Um, so you don't necessarily need a huge advertising budget to rebrand. You really need the time to uh, meet with media um, that that would probably be the best recommendation. The other thing that Christina and I both learned individually is that uh, website redesign can come later. That we both tried, uh, both of our organizations tried to do a brand launch and a website launch at the same time. And neither one uh, launched the way we wanted to. Um, the website, like we ended up doing, instead of a whole redesign, we ended up doing a facelift. So we put the new logo on, put some of the new brand colors on, but uh, we could not do both of those major projects at the same time. And so, and that was just like, Christina has said that they learned that as well, that, um, that it's just a really, you know, website redesign is so challenging um, in and of itself. It's just, um, and it seems like, yes, do it all at once, but, um, you know, neither one of us could really accomplish that. Um, and then we have some other uh, tips that Christina's going to talk about. Um, 
Okay, as I mentioned, uh, when we rebranded, it was part of a strategic plan. Uh, so it was something we knew we were going to do. Um, but it's something important that you plan that you should plan for and set aside money for, whether you're raising money or looking for grant funding. Um, and you don't have to have a ginormous budget, as, as Shannon mentioned. You know, you can work what connections you have, what board members you have. Um, for us, uh, the Ohio History Connection was actually really helpful. Um, they helped us uh, test our old logo. Um, just to recap real quickly, um, a lot of people didn't know what Presidential Center meant, but when we tested the proposed new name, they liked Presidential Library and Museums because it was like, oh, it sounds like there's a lot to do there, um, as opposed to earlier with Presidential Center, they're like, well, what does that mean? Do you come learn about the president? So they're very helpful with that um, uh, and other things as well. But just basically working what connections you have, seeing you know, if you have donors, um, seeing what they might be able to do. Sometimes they'll donate time or services. Um, but basically you're making it a priority, kind of trying to set up a budget for how much it might cost and how you're going to get there. Um, so... Uh, another thing that's good is is talking with similar organizations about their experiences. Um, you know, OHC had just gone through this, so it was good to talk to them and see how things went with them. Um, and there, there are so many people here, you know, at the conference, different uh, historical organizations. You, you know, use each other's knowledge. Um, you know, most people are willing to share uh, what they can about the process and how it worked. Um, so just using those partnerships... Um, to, to work toward that and setting aside the money and making it a priority. And again, it, the idea of rebranding, and especially if you're a nonprofit, you know, it's going to cost X amount of money, can seem overwhelming. Um, but if you kind of try to set what you can do in your budget and work toward that and use what you can uh, with donors and, and things, as I mentioned, um, that can help you kind of reach that goal. It doesn't have to be a daunting goal. And then um, just to think a little bit more about this, like really like invest in what you're doing um, and not just financially, but just, you know, emotionally um, that, you know, kind of put your whole self in it and, you know, you want your staff to kind of put themselves into it. Like, you know, this is a really great opportunity. It's a fresh start um, and it's, you know, and it's a big deal. Um, so, you know, devote time to it, like, you know, like try not to rebrand as quickly as possible. Um, you know, give yourself some time to do it right. Um, make it a priority. Uh, seek as much uh, constructive feedback as you can. Um, and so think about like you know it's really important and that what we learned is just listening to anyone and everyone who has something to say about the about your name change. Um, you know, even if you're not going to do what they say, like, people want to be heard, and they want to feel part of it, and, um, you know, listening to members, donors, uh, anyone that has something to say, you know, a lot of our, I think for a while, our CEO responded to any, uh, responded personally to any member or donor that uh, had a question or a comment about our rebranding process. Um, and so we try, we really tried to add that personal touch. And there weren't actually that many you know, the, what we found was that there were a few members maybe that were kind of upset that we changed our name because they know us as OHS and that's just what they wanted to call us. But for the most part, like, 
people that didn't know us very well, they were actually, they were like, yeah, that makes sense, you know, and that there wasn't that much, uh, uh, I forget the word, um, there wasn't that much animosity towards us. Um, so it's, you know, it's, but it mostly it's just important to listen. Um, and utilize any research you and your consultants have. You know, we relied on some AASLH papers on rebranding. We talked to similar organizations, History Colorado, Historic New England. These were some of our models for when we rebranded. And uh, Christina and the uh, Hayes, they did a really good job, I think, of making a splash. If you want to talk about uh, what you guys did. Thanks. So um, this is one of the really fun parts of the rebranding. Um, and as Shannon mentioned, you don't want to leave anybody out. Uh, rebranding is its not just exciting for your members and for your supporters, but it's really exciting for your staff, um, all your other stakeholders, you know, uh, your visitors, anybody who has any kind of involvement at all with you. So this is, this is a big deal, and you should treat it as such. It should be fun. Um, so these pictures here, right before I get to them, I wanted to mention, especially as far as staff goes, um, these pictures are from our logo launch, which happened in early December 2015. But before what you see here, um, we had a special breakfast meeting for our staff in the morning. Uh, we had a catered hot breakfast. And uh, we went over what we were going to do. It was basically a dry run of the logo launch. Um, and the staff all got like a little packet that had a button, uh, their new business cards with the new logo. Uh, there were some other goodies in there. So it was important um, to recognize the staff because this has been a long process. Um, we have some newer people, such as myself, but we also have some people who have worked there for like 30, 30 some years, you know. So this is a big deal. Um, and we wanted everyone to feel a part of it and to be excited about it. So that was a way that we um, you know, did something special for the staff. And then later in the day, um, we did our logo launch. And the photo on the right is we basically had a banner with our new logo. And if you ever come visit us, um, you'll see it uh, hanging when you come in. But we had it covered with a screen. And so we slowly lifted the screen. And we had a smoke machine. I got to run the smoke <laughs> machine. So it was a lot of fun. Um, so it was kind of cool for the public because um, we did that, and then we had some of our new gear, like I'm wearing one of our shirts. So some people had their shirts on underneath a jacket or something, and we all took off our jackets. And <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of fun. And then we brought the cake out, and you can see this little guy here is really enjoying it. So um, it, it, was just, it was just a fun thing to do. And one thing I can't stress enough that Shannon already mentioned is the media. Uh, I will give you a disclaimer. I did work as a newspaper reporter before I got this job, but... Um, the media can be your best friend. Um, you know, it is a feel-good story unless something goes terribly wrong. Um, and so it's a good way to get uh, coverage. And it's, it's basically, it's kind of advertising that you don't have to pay for. So make sure you include them as well. We had several media members there. We had media kits for them. Um, so it, it's just important to include them as well. So... I guess in a nutshell, don't forget anybody. Uh, you have your volunteers, um, your staff members, your board members, any of your stakeholders. Make sure to invite them. Make sure to make them feel part of the process. 
Um, and having an event like this, like this event probably only lasted about an hour, but it was a lot of fun for everybody. So, um, and then I guess one other thing I should talk about um, as far as our rebranding with our centennial, um, because the two are kind of tied together, we had a huge centennial celebration over Memorial Day weekend, and that was another way that we kind of, um, the logo and the new brand had already been unveiled. So, it technically wasn't in a branding event, but it definitely helped further our new brand. Um, you know, we had there were people wearing T-shirts. Uh, we had the Ohio State March, members of the Ohio State Marching and Athletic Bands uh, performed on the lawn of the Hayes home. Um, it was just a big event with a lot going on, and it was another way to further and celebrate our centennial as well as this sort of vision of moving forward into the next century. So. And if I can just add to like uh, what Christina is talking about, because I attended the event and it was just a really amazing event, but they also they coincided their rebranding and their centennial with uh, redoing their exhibit hall, and which was like what how much. Uh, 1.6 million, and that includes the new furniture. So it was a 1.6 million uh, renovation, and um, they took exhibits out that were 50 years old and put in uh, a really modern, sleek, purposeful uh, uh, exhibits that really, you know, transformed and represented the new brand. Um, and so it was really nice to, like, bring that all together. And so if you're planning something like that, like you don't have to do a one million renovation, but, um, you know, think about like, you know, how will visitors experience your new brand? Like what will they see as new? Um, <laughs> um, so here's some uber practical rebranding best practices and uber as in an ad adjective not as the car service um, that uh, here's one don't forget to change your organization's voicemail um, you know we didn't but it was the day before that we were on the phone tree pulling out instructions from like filing cabinets that hadn't been changed in forever and so it's you know, change your personal voicemail, um, but also uh, think about your organization's voicemail as well and um, other, any other places where your organization name shows up. Um, I say it's okay to pry old materials from the hands of babes, um, that, which I mean by that is that particularly our, our staff was reluctant to give up any sort of like post-it notes, pencils that had our old name on it. Um, it doesn't mean that they're you know not going to get recycled, um, but it's important to have the new name out there as soon as possible because you just need that repetition for the first few years like you just need um, and so you know we kind of joke about going through the libraries at night and like pulling pencils and replacing them with new pencils and um, which we didn't do but um, you know it's you know it's uh, it can be hard because people don't want to waste anything. I don't want to waste anything. And we didn't really, like, you know, some things we donated. Um, some things were so old that it was okay to throw them away. Um, but it's just, you know, it's okay to, like, in the rebranding process to, um, you know, start fresh with new materials. Um, update LinkedIn profiles. Um, that's really important, particularly for your leadership or uh, executive director. Um, that you know, often they don't. Nobody looks at their LinkedIn profiles unless they're looking for a job. But um, 
you know, it's something that's there and it's how, like, particularly your contacts will learn about you to begin with. Um, and so you don't want, you know, your CEO to have Ohio Historical Society at the same time that, um, <laughs> that they're, like, launching a new brand. And one morning I spent, like, you know, I emailed every person in the organization through LinkedIn and reminded them to change their profile. Um, and so, and that was one way to do it. Um, and I just say, don't panic. Everything in good time. Uh, you know, we're nonprofits. We're not Coca-Cola. We're not Apple. Um, so, you know, it doesn't have to be like a light switch and it's, and there's no way it can be like there were phases of the rebranding phases of the name change. Like we did the big things and then we moved to the little things. And occasionally two years later, we still see like walking in our museum, someone will point out something that says Ohio historical society on it. And, uh, and we'll, yes, we'll like, we'll be like, ah, oh, but we'll change it. So really like, you know, it can be a process and a lot of where the name, the new name recognition will come from, come from from is word of mouth. Like people will kind of slowly start saying the new name. They'll, they'll be like, no, I'm never going to call you Ohio History Connection. And But slowly they do. Um, so just kind of keep that, uh, keep that perspective. Okay, so Will Gene Wilder. Uh, so you have to manage a brand. What do you do? Um, so here's a little definition and an image. Uh, if you can't see, those are cats wandering about. Um, brand management is often kind of like herding cats, um, particularly at a large organization like mine. Um, so brand management is managing the tangible and intangible aspects of the brand. So that's both the colors and the logo um, and what appears in advertisements or newsletters, but it's also kind of the intangible part where we want to be open, friendly, accessible, and make sure that we're putting that image out. So that's what brand management is. And if you don't manage it, it'll kind of, like the cats, they will just wander off and kind of go back to what they know. Um, and so there's a couple things. Um, more uber practical advice. Um, it's okay to be the friendly brand cop. Um, and by that, I mean, like, it's okay to, you know, a year later you are calling somebody and you hear their voicemail and it still says Ohio Historical Society. You know, we often were like, hey, it's brand cop, change your voicemail. Um, <laughs> and so we joke about it because, um, it, you know, it's funny, but, um, you know, it's okay to, you know, correct people, change, you know, ask other partners to change logos. You know, we had to do that with our site partners where we sent them a new logo. And, um, you know, and people do it when you ask them a few times, and that is perfectly acceptable. Um, one of the things that we found really helpful was holding regular brand workshops with staff. So we hold them about once a quarter, and we go through um, our brand voice, our brand style, why we rebranded. Um, mostly it's for new staff or staff that hadn't been and that hadn't heard it before. Um, we are just recently starting a brand, we call them brand 101, but we're starting a brand 201 for people that want to learn kind of more about writing in the voice of the organization, how to be open, accessible in writing. Um, and so that has been really helpful to kind of bring staff along. Uh, use your new name and new logo a lot. Um, like, I can't emphasize that enough. Like, you know, you know, the other thing is don't abbreviate your new name. 
you know, everyone wants to abbreviate their name, but um, for the first like 10 years, you want to spell it out it, at every possible instance um, because like OHC for us, like there's also the Ohio Humanities Council, which is OHC, our building uh, where we have the, our main museum is called Ohio History Center. There's a lot of OHCs out there. And so we just ask staff and everyone to like always kind of say Ohio History Connection for a while. Um, and um, the other thing that we found kind of as a barrier uh, is that staff needs to wear the new apparel. That there's uh, staff that were, you know, that they had their fleece with their, their old fleece and they loved it and they wore it like a blanket at work and, you know, and what we said was, yes, you can, you don't have to like burn it, but, uh, you know, you, like when you're working with the public, when you're meeting partners, like you want to be in new logoed apparel. Um, and that was, you know, and that's just another visual representation of consistency. And one of the things that we did that was really helpful for us was create and use a style guide. And um, for a large organization, that was really important because, you know, there just there was no real consistency in the different newsletters that were going out. Like, you know, how do we spell archaeology with an A or without? Um, you know, how do we refer to the organization? How do we abbreviate everything? You know, what does it mean to write? Like, do we write in first person saying we, or do we write in third person saying the organization? You know, all these things were kind of just up in the air, and people kind of just did whatever they felt was right. Um, and just for consistency, we use, we go by the AP style guide, um, which is what uh, journalists use. And that's our kind of basis. And then we kind of have major guidelines that we talk about. Um, that, you know, we write and we say we because, you know, we don't want to kind of have an us versus them approach to Ohioans, like, you know, Ohioans, like, well, we're Ohioans, so we say we, we're friendly, um, we don't say that organization is doing X, we say we're starting this thing and we want you to be a part of it. Um, and so that was a really important uh, act for us because we had never had that before. It has visual brand guidelines, uh, for designers, and so we have like complete like design logo files. So if other designers need to work with us, we just give them the whole pack, and um, it's really helpful uh, for them. Um, and then I don't know, Christina, do you want to say anything about a style guide? Because you work with like sure. that she, it's her and one other person, and so yeah. So so we're a lot smaller um, than OHC. Um, Basically, with, with ad design, our publications, it, like Shannon said, it's pretty much myself and our photo curator um, who do most of the layout. We do have a couple people who do some, some things. So we don't have a style guide, per se. Um, it's something that we may talk about doing. But since it's mostly just myself and um, Gil, um, we kind of sort of have an understanding. Um, I pretty much do all our press releases, so I'll do them in AP style because a lot of newspapers nowadays will just run what you write verbatim, which is kind of nice because you can write a whole story and if they have the space, they'll print it. Um, but for like social media, um, certain things like that, of course, we, we kind of speak in first person, so it's approachable as Shannon mentioned. But um, it's something we're, we're considering, but since there are so few people who actually 
do the ads and the publications. We haven't had the need for it or the staffing or time to do it yet. So um, I guess maybe that's something to consider depending on the size of, of your site to, you know, do what you can. Okay, so I want to talk a little for a second about brand architecture um, and why it's important and how it how we've kind of like what we've learned in kind of two years after rebranding. Um, but I just want to start with a couple of definitions. Um, so there's three main types of brand architecture. This is how your brand is structured. Um, and one is monolithic and that's one brand and name is used on all products and services offered by the organization. Um, and so I was trying to think of a good example um, that is like relevant. Um, most, I, I guess I would say most historical societies have a monolithic brand, particularly small ones, like everything is done by X historical society. Um, the second type is endorsed uh, brands, and these are all sub-brands that are linked to the organizational brand by means of either verbal or visual acknowledgement. So one way to think about that is um, that, the, that the two... There might be two logos, but they're always tied together. So um, I think like Dasani water is usually, if I remember correctly, is usually linked with Coca-Cola. Um, that may not be the best example, but uh, that's the idea, is that the two brands are always linked together. Um, and there's always visual, so there's design elements that connect them as well. Um, freestanding, uh, that's the organizational brand, operates merely as a holding company, and each product and service is individually branded for its target market or audience, um, like P&G brands with all the various like household um, cleaning supplies. Like That's an example of kind of freestanding. So at the Ohio History Connection, um, what we learned is that changing your brand architecture can be hard, particularly for internal stakeholders. And so our original goal was to move from a freestanding brand uh, or freestanding brands to a monolithic brand. And these are, I had kind of fun pulling out all the various like logos of uh, the products and services that we have. And these are really great products and services. And in the absence of kind of any direction, you know, of course, all these had their own kind of brand identity. And, um, and so like, I don't want to like, uh, discount any of these because they're all excellent. Um, but our goal with rebranding was moving from these freestanding brands to one Ohio History Connection. And the purpose for that is to take all these little pockets of audiences that are very small and bring them all under Ohio History Connection so that you get a wider audience for every single product and services. And so that was what we started out with. So the reality is that we really achieved a mix of a monolithic and an endorsed brand. That um, because some of these brands had such strong, they had such strong identity, we didn't want to like kind of take that identity away. We wanted to benefit from it. So what we kind of ended up with was having, you know, where the logos coexist and the programs and the identities kind of coexist and that Ohio History Connection is kind of the parent 
one and ideally the dominant one so they have that kind of consistency but then they can focus in on what they recognize which is um, statehood day or ohio history day those kind of long-standing brands and what we did was create we kind of redesigned almost all of them and brought them so that they all have some sort of visual consistency and design elements that are similar um, in order to bring the stakeholders along um, which a lot of them are here at this conference, like, you know, we, you know, we wanted to listen um, and articulate the value, like, what are, what's your program, Ohio History Day, going to get out of being linked with the Ohio History Connection? And, you know, it's just a lot of conversation because, like, they're very, people are very protective of their, of their work because they work so hard. And it's just, you know, like, it takes a little while to see the benefit and to change ways, and it's just a lot of listening and kind of talking and discussing. Um, but I think it's ultimately been a positive experience for most people because we're seeing increases in uh, engagement with our products and services. And so that was like this like brand architecture thing. It's a little nitty-gritty, but it was kind of representative of a big, like, something that we really wanted to do at the start of rebranding, and we really had to take a step back and think more carefully about what we wanted to achieve and what was good with, for our organization in particular. And... Um, so we want to talk a little bit just about how this process can change you as an organization. Um, and to give you an example from the Hayes Presidential Library and Museums, um, it did coincide with our centennial. So there was a lot of excitement um, about changing from something that was early 1980s to something new. There was a lot of excitement about um, our museum redesign that Shannon mentioned. Um, a lot of excitement about our big centennial event. So we had a lot to look forward to, but the new brand was definitely part of the process. Um, and I think it was really a really important part of the process because we're looking forward, we're celebrating our first century, and we're looking forward to another century of being this, you know, uh, modern, nimble organization that really meets the needs of today's uh, visitors to museums and today's patrons, whether that's somebody in California who's doing genealogy research and needs some help, or it's somebody who lives three blocks away who wants to bring their grandkids to our Christmas train exhibit. Um, so one of the really exciting things for us is it was an exciting time for our staff. Um, just thinking forward, all of this forward thinking, you know, there was more brainstorming. There were a lot of ideas. Um, everybody seemed really excited about what we were doing and being a part of what we're doing. Um, the, the picture here, this is actually the cover. Uh, my coworker, Gil, designed this cover. Actually, he designed the whole piece. Um, this is uh, the cover of a fundraising piece that we did for our museum redesign project. And um, I would say that that all of this is kind of new vision and this forward thinking kind of was the inspiration for this. And so I didn't bring one with me, but when you open it up, it shows what the new museum was going to look like. Um, it had our new logo and everything. So it was it, something really exciting for people to get behind. Um, it just kind of makes you uh, think about other things you can do, other ways you can be relevant. Because the other thing that you don't want to do is say, okay, well, we, we have our new brand, we're done. You always want to be evolving and thinking of new things. Um, 
One other thing, uh, it, just small things that it led to, um, our house guides in the Hayes home, they, I think they used to wear blue blazers over kind of whatever they wanted, and they all looked nice, but we thought, well, what if with our new branding, they all wear uh, a button-down shirt, and it's, it's like the one I'm wearing, they wear either gray or white. But that's a small thing, but it also really helps our branding. People come to the Hayes home, and the guides are dressed really sharp, and you see the logo. Um, so that's a small thing, but it's also an important thing, and it helps further your image and your brand. Um, so I feel like having making the new brand kind of a, a vision for the future, uh, sort of an attitude of we're always evolving, we're always trying to uh, reach people in different ways uh, and be forward-thinking can, can help change you. And one other example that we, that we have from the Ohio History Connection of in the rebranding process, um, this was after we rebranded, about a year after we rebranded, we, re we decided to change our mission statement. And it's something that you may think that um, you would do at the beginning of the rebranding, um, but it didn't really occur to us. It didn't seem necessary at that moment. Um, like, we, there just weren't any conversations about it, and so we kind of left our mission the same. And it wasn't until about a year in that we were like, hey, you know, does our mission represent what we want to put out there to the public? And so our old mission was spark discovery of Ohio's history, connect with the past in order to understand the present, and create a better future. Our new mission uh, is spark discovery of Ohio's stories, embrace the present, share the past, and transform the future. So the things that I've underlined here, the major changes, we went from Ohio history to Ohio stories. And stories are so, you know, they're at the root of history, and it's kind of why we do what we do. Um, it's also more approachable and accessible. People like stories, but, you know, you're always going to find the people that say to you, oh, I didn't like history in school. Or, so uh, we kind of, we just said, let's go to the root of what uh, history is about. The other thing that we did is that we start in the present. So we uh, start where we, we meet people where they are. Uh, one of the best examples our CEO has given is that, you know, when you're asked about your family, you talk about your immediate family, the people that are with you right now, that you don't go back to past generations unless kind of, you know, you're kind of guided that way. So let's meet people there where they are, and then we'll share the past. And that, but we're always forward-looking. We're always looking to the future that, you know, it's not just about, you know, studying the past. It's about how we can make a better future uh, for our organization. And so that was kind of, that was one of the fun things that I got to do that was just really kind of a surprise and kind of um, represented, like, how far our organization had come in just a year was to be able to do that. So um, are we more relevant? Um, you know, both organizations, we've seen increases in giving, in financial support, in visitation, and in membership. So, yes, I think we're making incremental changes. The, um, but what I think is kind of more important is the kind of intangible benefits of rebranding, where, like, our staff in particular have gained confidence and direction, 
that you know we are able to provide new experiences for our audience and we have a new attitude towards uh, our audiences that you know staff are not afraid to kind of be open and approachable and um, what we've noticed is that staff start picking up that language and that they'll start using it when they're talking about um, their visitors or guests like we're kind of right now we're having that conversation like the people that come to our museums are they visitors or are they guests you know and what does that what does that imply or are they customers like you know what different value judgments that we're putting on those different categories you know if we want to be open and approachable you know, are we, you know, Disney calls their people guests, your guests at Disney, and there's a reason for that. So um, it really kind of, you know, I would have to say that staff in general were kind of, some were really excited about the rebranding, some were kind of lukewarm, some were like quietly kind of, you know, naysayers, um, but I don't really hear that anymore. Uh, as you know, I hear more of the excitement and, uh, you know, we got, I feel like we have a good momentum in the organization that we're moving forward and that, you know, the rebranding really helped everyone to just kind of do a restart and do a fresh start and it's okay to try things new and that's what uh, happened during the uh, rebranding process. Is there anything you want to add? Um, no, I, I just like to, I guess I just like to second that. Um, just it's, it's can be more than just a rebranding. It can be a, a looking forward, brainstorming for new ideas, new ways to reach people. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with that. So, um, there's like a million other things that we could talk about related to rebranding, but we're really uh, interested in people sharing their own experiences with rebranding um, or thoughts or questions that you have for us. Um, so, any questions? Yeah. Um, so the question for the recording is that, you know, did we do our logo in-house or did we send it out and was it voted on and by committee or board or how was it decided? Um, for the Ohio History Connection, um, we did not do it in-house. We don't have, we have graphic designers that work on our exhibits, but all the kind of like marketing and outward uh, public facing uh, design work is done uh, through um, consultants. And so we had actually two different consulting groups come and present logo concepts. We had some kind of baseline, which included, like, it had to have our the Ohio flag in it. That was kind of our baseline uh, because we're tied so closely to the state of Ohio. Um, and so that was the one thing. And then they presented different concepts. Um, we did not, we're not big fans of designing by committee. Um, and so, you know, um, I'm trying to remember, I think the CEO and my boss, the chief marketing officer, worked pretty closely on the logo, um, and uh, that, that that was kind of most of the work, and then the marketing team kind of helped uh, guide it, um, but it was mostly uh, presented, like the work was done behind the scenes, and then it was presented to the board and the staff with an explanation of why uh, the logo looks uh, the way it does. Um, we wanted the, I can go, there's, oh, there's one. Um, so the main thing, our old logo, uh, if we go all the way back to the beginning, um, our old logo, very static, 
we wanted movement, and so we tortured our designers by like making them like have the flag waving, which like what I really wanted was like a hand waving, like, but um, not really. But so yeah, so we didn't design by committee, and like, but there's often points where you have to explain the whys and uh, the benefits of not designing by committee. Did you want to add any? Um, sure. Uh, they had actually picked our, our new logo by the time I got there, um, but I can tell you that it was done uh, outside with a consulting agency. Um, I believe our board approved it because they usually approve pretty much everything. Um, I can tell one thing I can tell you um, that may be of some help, might be of interest, is um, there were several uh, potential designs for the logo, uh, and I know one of them. Are, the president's estate is called Spiegel Grove, uh, and there are lots of trees. So I know one of the proposed designs had a bunch of trees, and everyone loved it. But then they started looking at park district logos, and it kind of looked like a park district logo. So one lesson uh, that they took away from this is even if you like something, you also always have to keep in mind what does it convey. So even though they thought it was a really neat logo, it didn't really say presidential library, and that's why we ended up with, um, let's see, sorry, if I can find it here. I think it's, oh, I'm going backwards. Uh, that's why we ended up with um, the one that's actually same same color scheme as OHCs, but you know it sort of looks like a flag, very presidential, uh, kind of the notch in the bottom kind of pays homage to the Ohio flag. So um, they felt like that logo more spoke to what we're about. Yes? Can you talk about the Ohio History Center? I didn't see a logo for that. So how do they work with the connection? Oh, so the Ohio History Center. So the question is, like, how did uh, we work with the Ohio History Center? Um, because we don't have a logo. So the Ohio History Center is the headquarters for the Ohio History Connection. And so um, we treat it as a location, not as a um, not as like its own separate entity with a uh, with its own logo. And so, because we have um, at that site, we have the Ohio History Center, and then we also have a 19th century village called Ohio Village. And so, what we've actually done, let's see, let me find. There we go. Down here in the bottom corner, what you'll see is we created co-branded logos for all of our site systems. So like one of our sites is Adena Mansions and Gardens. And so we created a co-branded logo for them um, as a way to keep that unity. Um, and so we ended up, one of the things that we learned about a year after we started was that we needed a co-branded logo for the Ohio History Center and the Ohio Village. And so we have those logos, um, and, that, and that makes a lot of sense. And it is a little confusing because it's like the Ohio History Center's location, the organization is Ohio History Connection. There's a lot of, like, Ohio histories in that, and so we understand that that can be confusing. Yes. That's a good question. So the question is, like, because um, some of our members were members of the media and that news got out there before we wanted it to, you know, what would we do differently? Um, 
We might have waited to alert members a little closer to we were launching at Memorial Day weekend, and we might have waited to a little closer. Um, we were meeting with reporters and media kind of throughout the winter and spring, and um, you know we might have like the Columbus Dispatch, the main paper there, we hadn't gotten to that meeting yet. So we might have been a little bit more strategic about when we had those meetings. Um, it really didn't turn out badly. It just, uh, it was just a surprise and we had to hustle. And uh, so, and I'm not sure that, you know, I guess we could go through in our membership and look for reporters and maybe reach out to them in advance. That would probably be the best strategic way to do it but it's often like friends of reporters that like pass things on to them and so um you know just being flexible and nimble is probably the most uh, kind of important thing and just being like okay we're gonna talk about this in april <laughs> whether we wanted to or not um other questions yes Um, yeah, so the question is, like, how would we kind of prioritize what needs to come first and what can wait? Um, and I think anything um, as much, like, as the big public-facing, anything that the public sees, to try to uh, change that first. So, um, you know, things that are really easy is, like, social media, where you can update your uh, profile pictures and names. Um, like that's where people often find you. Um, don't forget about Google. Like even if you don't have a Google account for your organization, Google has one for you, and uh, you should go on and claim it, which is you know can be a long process sometimes. Um, and so uh, like it's you know you're talking to Google, so you're like. Uh, it's, it can be a long process, and so things like that where people, like, where their first point of contact is going to be, um, I would change that. Uh, signage is really kind of significant. Um, I think Christina's explanation of, like, revealing the banner and with the smokes, <laughs> which we did not use smoke, so now I'm kind of jealous, but, um, you know, I think that, like, big kind of grand gestures are good at this time. Um, and uh, reinforcing with like logoed material, uh, business cards, uh, those kind of things, um, where you know it's where your point of contact is with someone outside your organization. That's going to be really important. Um, things that could wait, um, like major, uh, like we said, the website with the, you know change your logo, but don't try to do it. All um, you know, some of our site system signage, like for our entire site system, was being updated. That is just completing now, um, and that's just because it's a really long process. Um, you know, every dig has to have an archaeologist on site, and um, it's a it can be a, uh, an arduous task. And so um, we kind of staggered that. Um, I was going to say something else, and then did you have something that you would add to that? Um, I just. I pretty much agree with okay. you. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some other things that... Oh, like our style guide, like that came later. We didn't have that to begin with. Um, you know, the brand workshops that we did, like that was kind of... That evolved out of necessity. That wasn't... Uh, that wasn't um, immediately apparent. Logo is a, is a needed immediately. 
um, to have that visual consistency. Um, yeah. Or, or you had a question. I have two okay. Yes. Yeah, the question was, like, you know, can we share our style guide? Style guide? Absolutely. Um, just send me an email, and uh, we're absolutely happy to share that. The longer question is, I know you two are involved in marketing, but when it came to changing your name, there's a huge legal part of that. And how long did that take, and what did you go through to do that? Um, that's another great question. So the question is about, you know, the legal uh, process to change your name. And, um, like, and what was that like? We uh, continue, we are still uh, legally the Ohio Historical Society, and we are just doing business as the Ohio History Connection. Um, we did get uh, our name updated in the Ohio Revised Code, so that because we get state funding, like, that was updated just, and that took a little while, but it wasn't, you know, if you know someone they just put it into a bill I don't know exactly how it works but uh, it just gets in there and then it becomes uh, and we become Ohio History Connection there's things that like you know contracts like we're still Ohio Historical Society it's just our public facing name has changed um, one good example of this that uh, we kind of use when we were talking about changing our name but not legally changing our name was that if you know um, Columbus and the it's COSI, the Center for uh, Center of Science and Industry. Um, does anyone know what their name was before it was COSI? Uh, they were the Franklin County Historical Society, and they um, and they rebranded before rebranding was a thing and became the Center for Science and Industry. Um, but legally, they still are uh, Franklin County Historical Society. So I don't think so. We didn't so we didn't legally change our name. We kept it, um, and it doesn't really come up except for contracts. Um, there's some foundations that like require that we use our legal name, and so we'll put uh, doing business as Ohio History Connection. Um, so, yes. Yes. So as long as there's no, there's been very few instances where we have to use our legal name. Um, and the question was, do we have to use our legal name, or how do we do? How do we list ourselves with like United Way or State Tourism Office? Um, and pretty much everyone takes our our public facing name, um, except in like grant applications is a place where we have to list our legal name sometimes, um, and contracts are another place where we list our legal name. But um, those are all kind of behind the scenes. Um, yes, we still uh, our our legal name, I believe, is Hayes Presidential Center Inc. And operating as Hayes Presidential Library and Museums. Um, I did recently talk to our financial person about it, and I think she's looking into whether or not we can change it legally and how big of a hassle that is. But I would say our experience 
um, is similar to what Shannon described. I mean, that's mostly behind behind the scenes. Um, and we also, I don't know if we're uh, if it was changed in Ohio Revised Code, but I know uh, the state legislature did a resolution for us being the first presidential library, and they did have our new name. So it hasn't been uh, a big hindrance or anything, but obviously we did rebrand in December, and we still haven't uh, changed our legal name. So it might be a process. Uh, the question is. The question is about what did the gift shop manager do with all the old logoed material? Um, we actually had not only old logo material; we had old things like you know. There might, I don't know if there were eight tracks, but there was something that, like, you know, <laughs> that we had uh, old recordings of. And we held a garage sale, like, as part of our uh, rebranding weekend. It was like, and everything must go, and everything was like 75% off. And um, it is hard to, it was hard for people to let go of some of that stuff, but it's, you know, it's kind of a necessary part of it. I don't know if you want to add. Um, yeah, we just we have a small museum store. It's a little bit bigger now with our redesign. But when I got there in August of 2015, we already had a um, deep discount table of old hats and shirts, and we didn't restock until um, actually our uh, rebranding was in December. So at the ceremony. Um, we had a table full of new merchandise that was covered, and then we unveiled it so people could go buy. But then right after that, at the beginning of January, we had to close down our museum for the redesign. Um, the house was still open, but we didn't have an open store. So that may have made a difference, but she started deep discounting stuff pretty early and just didn't order new. So, Other questions? Yes. <laughs> nice. That's a great idea. That was a point for confetti cannons. That sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> or like, have you I used one? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm like, that is a great idea. We did not do that. <laughs> I know. You're like, it's like, what about glitter? Like, uh, other questions? Yeah. Yeah, the question is, like, you know, did we talk to other organizations before we headed down this road? And the answer is yes. Um, the two that I think were actually the three that were kind of that I think we had the most conversations with was History of Colorado um, and Chicago History Museum. And um, one of the ones that we used as a model was uh, Historic New England, which was, I can't even remember their previous name. What? Yes, so, you know, they they went shorter. Um, and so, yeah, so we did. And, I mean, I think those conversations, like, um, I didn't, like, personally have a lot of those conversations, but our CEO and our leadership, you know, it was kind of a well-thought-out process. Um, and there were a lot of kind of conversations at the higher levels about that. 
Did you want to add any? Oh, well, um, all that was done before I arrived. So I know that they did talk to other organizations, but unfortunately I don't have a lot of details on that. I'm sorry. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, yeah, so the question is about organizational apparel and like what kind of like processes or uh, guidelines we put around apparel. Um, and for the Ohio History Connection, all of our frontline staff like are always wearing logoed apparel in general, and um, it was a matter of like switching that out. Um, when we were going through the rebranding process, we selected a polo, a Oxford shirt, and a fleece that, and they were all in kind of Either you could get blue, gray, or white in various colors. And we kind of let people choose as long as they're wearing one of those colors. Um, we asked staff not to, like, you know, the, the frontline staff especially, you can't wear old logo apparel. That was just uh, not possible. It's the more vague, uh, nebulous territory of, like, what happens if I'm working out in the village? Like, you know, can I still wear my old T-shirt with the old logo? And... Um, we had to kind of adjust that. Like we had to create, we had to get new branded t-shirts because that was a need. Um, we had to get uh, working jackets. So people that work outside a lot, we got logoed working jackets, which they didn't have before at all and they actually really appreciated. Um, and then we had to, so there were some things that we had to change along the way. Um, for staff that don't normally work with uh, the public, we just asked them to please we just kind of asked nicely and repeatedly, like, you know, wear new logo to apparel. If you're going to be on TV, wear logo to apparel. Um, and for the most part, like, people, like, you know, that took a little while. Like, you kind of saw the old fleeces for a while, and then they kind of slowly kind of phased out. Um, we talk about getting an organizational Snuggie because it's so cold where we work. <laughs> um, that, like, you know, that because we're, like, you know, staff are really into that. But um, it wasn't too hard. It was mostly just, like, you know, some people don't like the new polo or, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's hard to make everyone happy with uniforms. And so we're just trying, we just ask people to, like, let's try it for a few years and see how it goes. And um, that's been pretty successful, but there's always kind of general kind of comments about, I don't look good in this and whatnot. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, do you want to add anything? Uh, sure. Um, just, to, just as far as uh, who wears logo to apparel, apparel excuse me, um, our frontline staff in the museum do. So when you come in to buy your ticket, there'll be somebody wearing a shirt like this or they'll wear a gray one. And then all of our house guides do. Um, our grounds crew, um, they all have blue shirts. Um, so we let everybody else pick either white or gray. So um, you can kind of tell who's who. Um, and then other staff, like myself, you had the option to go ahead and order if you wanted to. And, and most people did. So, and I think, too, we, you know, most people, I, I think we had very few complaints. Not everybody was happy about it. You know, some people are like, oh, well, I want, you know, I want to get the 
black shirt well it was either gray or white and we hoped that like for example I did not order the dark gray one because that's not my color so it was kind of nice to have um, an option um, but I think that it, it has helped with the rebranding I mean everybody looked nice before but before they basically wore street clothes um, and so now it's just kind of a sharp look um, with everybody wearing the shirts so, oh, and as far as uh, wearing old apparel, one thing that we did uh, at the breakfast is everybody could wear their old Hayes presidential T-shirts. So that was kind of fun. Somebody who's worked there for more than 30 years had one from like the early 90s. So it was kind of like the last hurrah for wearing that. And I haven't seen anybody wear their old stuff. So, Uh, so the question is about return on investment and how do you, like, did we see a return on investment? Um, you know, some of it is, you know, like, recognizing that rebranding, it's an investment. And, you know, you're going to, you know, like, you're going to, it's like financial, it's personnel. It, there's a lot of different resources that have to go into that. And I think acknowledging that and being kind of ready to, uh, you know, ex like have those financial uh, hurdles that you have to overcome, I think is really just important. Um, did we see a return on investment? I think that the answer is yes. Um, you know, one of the major ones that we've seen is our state funding increased um, dramatically. Um, I d you know, it's hard to tie that specifically to rebranding, but it certainly... Um, you know, I think it certainly helped. Um, the other things I would say about return on investment that there's, you know, it's sometimes hard to calculate because branding is so kind of, is a f somewhat of a nebulous territory. Um, but, um, like you, like you can't put a price on like staff pride and excitement and enjoyment. And that's, um, where I see kind of our biggest return, and then we're starting to see the, like these ripple effects in our donations, in our membership, um, in our engagement across the state. Um, state funding is like huge for us, and um, you know everything is moving in a forward, positive direction, and has been since we rebranded. Um, so um, I think that's it's a good question. It's something really important to think about. Um, the other thing that I would kind of say about like financial costs or investment is to think about what, you know, you know, board members and what they can, uh, what services they can provide, uh, for free, um, or, uh, discounted. And, you know, you may have a design firm on your board and they may design your logo, uh, for free and that may, and that's really great. Or you may have a PR, uh, we have a, someone on our board now that runs a PR agency. She wasn't with us at the beginning when we rebranded, but man, we would have used, uh, leveraged her resources a lot. Um, I don't know. Do you want to add anything about return sure. on investment? Or? Um, uh, one example I can give you is um, our museum closed on January the 3rd for redesign. So the only thing we had open, I mean, people could still come up to the library and do research and look around. Um, 
the only other thing we really had open for them to tour was the Hayes Home, which is great, um, but not having the museum we thought might hurt our attendance. And our attendance um, did not go down at all. I, it may have even gone up. I can't say that for sure. Um, but our staff had reviewed, and the number of people just coming to tour the Hayes Home was the same as the amount of people the year before touring the, touring the home and museum. So, again, I mean, I can't say 100%, oh, it was the rebranding, but I think that that really helped. Um, and our attendance is way, way up since the museum reopened on Memorial Day weekend. So um, we also launched um, a membership drive uh, right before the centennial. We redesigned our membership brochure with a new logo uh, and everything, and we've seen a huge increase in memberships. Um, so I think that's another return on investment. And our state funding also did go up as well. We had lost some state funding during the recession, and uh, thankfully that was pretty much restored. And, you know, as Shannon said, I don't know if you can say that specifically because of rebranding, but I, I definitely think everything that we've been doing and kind of getting our message out there, the rebranding is a part of that and part of um, the increased attendance and, and the state funding and things like that. Any other questions or comments? All right. Well, we thank you very much. Um, we're happy to answer questions. If you want business cards or you want to contact us, um, please just come up and get them. But we really thank you for coming on this dreary uh, Saturday morning. <laughs>